So, Anna, what would you say this whole show is about that we do here? I would say that thank you for throwing the intro over to me today, Michael. I would say You're that welcome. political playlist happy hour. And we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Here we go. Roll credits. Welcome to political playlist. All right. Are we ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, happy hour. hour. Wow, she totally fell for that. Hey, everybody, and welcome to... <laughs> like, hey, everybody, and welcome to Political Plays Happy Hour. I'm Anna Muskie goldwyn Okay, Anna, we're the brothers you've never had, right? Uh, Am I right? Yeah. And so. I I am Michael Kristoff, who has been replaced. <laughs> and I'm Anthony Barquettes. I couldn't even guess. <laughs> I couldn't even guess. <laughs> God, oh, Anna, sorry to anyone listening to this for these imbeciles. This is great. This is this we is political playlist happy hour where giggles. we talk about the members of Congress under 45 years old and what they're tweeting and doing about the news of the day of the week. That, that was very good. That's that's what the show is. And maybe it's I should just better. take over as the the host. <laughs> Go for it. I think so. Um, I think. I think we have a little bit of a Tucker Carlson situation here where I'm reading my text and, oh, okay, that's it. I'm, I've been fired. <laughs> Anthony, are you interested in being the Don Lemon of this trio? Am I Don Lemon? Yeah. Oh, no. Don Lemon. No. Time for more limoncellas. I think I'd rather be pocket. Tucker, actually. I mean, <laughs> Tucker? He's definitely richer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so I'd, rather I'd rather be yeah. Tucker. I'd rather be Tucker. Yeah, fuck Don <laughs> Lemon. <laughs> Um, hey, everybody. Uh, how are we doing? I am doing a very unusual thing, which is having a red wine. Mm. Um, and let me give you some context to this red wine. It's God, a boring. It's a Coppola Pinot Noir. OK. And I'm drinking a director's wine in honor of our uh, Hollywood strike that just began today. That's a stretch, but OK. Well, hey, here's hoping, kid. Well, I'm drinking a white wine in honor of myself being on strike and spending three hours walking in a circle picketing today and really <laughs> wanting a glass of wine you're wearing you're in white for the victimhood <laughs> well they actually gave us blue shirts to wear oh you mean my white wine yeah, yeah. for surrender we I surrender <laughs> oh that's great anthony uh i'm just a you know classic american guy here drinking a scotch wearing oh, wow. a polo shirt wearing a polo yeah. green polo shirt for the earth yeah save the world choice I'm glad dad could be here today. Yeah. <laughs> I do look like a dad Such a, a lot. Dad I do. I do. Wow. Wow. Well, should um, we start the the conversation? The, I I guess. If nobody has any funny jokes, sure. Let's get into no, the No, we just made a stuff. joke about Anthony. What if dad. we had an AI write our jokes? Oh, my God. Anna, what a segue. What oh, are right. we going to learn about today? So we're first going to talk about artificial intelligence. Mm. And this is newsworthy for a couple of reasons. But the big national slash global reason is because you may have heard that one of the top AI people at Google has quit. Mm. And his name was, is, was he's still alive, is Jeffrey his Hinton. Is... His name is Jeffrey Hinton. And he is considered the godfather of AI. Because wow. in 2012, he worked with some of his graduate students and created technology that became the intellectual foundation for the AI systems that the tech industries use as a key part of all of their AI products now. Now, 
why did he leave Google? Basically because he wanted to be able to tell the world that we're fucked. Hmm. He left his job so that he could speak freely and criticize tech companies for how aggressively they're pushing forward to create products based on generative AI, which is the tech that powers chatbots like ChatGPT. Um, And he was at Google for more than a decade. And he is basically saying that AI is going to be as monumental as the introduction of the web browser was in the early 90s. And how this pertains to what we talk about in politics is that everyone basically agrees that there's no freaking way that regulation is going to be able to keep pace with what's going on in technology, which means that there isn't really a way to stop anyone nefarious from using AI in a nefarious way. And we're already seeing that with talk about the 2024 elections and misinformation. And Michael, I see you want to say something. I just I wonder if you can be more uplifting than Mitch McConnell here. I, I really need it today. This is I, not this uplifting. This is so depressing. Know I, I know. know this is depressing. This is so depressing. Just what I need in my life. Because oh. this is what he says is the ultimate threat. Oh, he says Do that I know? Future, future versions of AI technology uh, can pose a threat to humanity because they often will learn unexpected behavior from all the data they analyze. And eventually they could truly become autonomous and self-weaponize and literally become killer robots. Oh my God. This is from like a legit scientist. And then they can impregnate us as well. (laughs) (laughs) That was a dad joke. (laughs) No, that was a weird dad joke. If that was a dad joke. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. Well, I I feel like I see that. Anthony's going to be like that gross, like inappropriate dad. I, I, I hope so. Like, I hope so. So yeah. So half of Congress got it. Um, yeah. I guess like the thing that's so wild to me ab- about this is that it's obviously like sci-fi come to life. We've already seen the ability of AI to be you know, doing the creative things like the fun of chat GPT, like, hey, write my book report. And it's like spits out like, oh, the the natural is about a guy who strikes out, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I, I when I think of AI, the thing that I go to immediately, and I don't know why, is if you recall a few like two years ago, there was the Israeli assassination of the Iranian scientist using a weapon that was said to be an AI powered, effectively sniper rifle. So it's like when we start. Yeah. And like, I am absolutely convinced that, you know, the U.S. military and, and others have the AI weaponry. And so this goes directly to what you're saying, Anna, of like, how do you then begin to regulate that part of it? Like, we can't even get handguns in control. No, I mean, you don't regulate this, it in this country. Or you will, like, but it'll be too late, right? Like, yeah. that's kind of, I think, the general consensus. But I wanted to just bring this a little bit personally because it's something that mm-hmm. I find really interesting. So, as we alluded to, um, I am a writer. I'm a member of the Writers Guild of America. And as people know, uh, we just went on strike. Some of and us are writers too. Some of us haven't been invited to join. Just saying. Your, but you're just your independent spirit. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we'll we'll but, go get them. Yeah. Laugh, laugh. No, laugh, but but laugh, the laugh. but 
that all said, the reason I'm bringing this up is that there was one. So there's two pages of the sort of demands, proposals, whatever the WGA posed to the studios. And then it says what the studios either countered with or what they responded to for each demand. And one of the demands, one of the items was basically the Writers Guild of America asking the studios to not use artificial, to agree to not use artificial intelligence in the writing process. And that isn't saying that individual writers can't, I mean, I've used it for brainstorming. I think it can be very effective. I, it's not saying like AI is banned from Hollywood. It's basically saying that the studios can't use AI to do something that currently they hire a writer to do. Right. And their response to that, the studio's response was- Wait, well, we'll talk about it. We can talk. Literally, their response yeah. was, we will agree to have one meeting a year yeah, to that's right. talk about like, <laughs> the advancements in technology. By the way, as if bullshit. AI is going to yeah. advance on a yearly basis, we've already right. seen it's advancing on like a weekly basis. Right. So what what I just want people to understand about this is like from a creative standpoint, and Anthony, put on your creative hat. Try really, really hard. Oh, turns out doesn't fit. Um, (laughs) no, but what, what people can understand about this. And I think that like, this is sort of a real life application that I is now implanted in my brain. Forget about, you know, the potential threat of humanity down the line is that we've all seen, like, there was that AI script of Seinfeld or whatever that, that was written. And it was like kind of goofy. We've seen the sort of goofy versions, but eventually the AI will be able to write something that is like a script and it won't be very good, but, or maybe it will be like, well, I I still, which is even more terrifying. I think it's still a ways until it's going to be like good creatively, but what it will Mm. be is it will be structurally sound. It will have the plot that it needs to have. And then what happens is that writers, AKA labor Mm. will no Mm -hmm. longer be hired for the initial ideation step of writing a movie or a tv show and they will be hired only as or we will only be hired as a rewriter which means that you're cutting out a huge part of the employment process and i think that this should resonate with people everywhere because we think of like oh it's a creative job it can't be replaced by a machine and there's literally enough of a threat that it's part of this big negotiation and a part of this strike because of the ridiculous response the studios had now i was to it I will say, I will go on the record as saying that generally speaking, I am against anybody telling me that I can't work. But I see both sides. I see both sides of this. Well, what about, good what about people on both ro- sides? What about robots in factories? That's the same yeah. thing, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's that this is yeah. the. They've been pushed out. The frontier. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. This is the frontier. So with Wild. that said, I have a slightly related tweet. Do you mind if I go first? Oh, well, I mean, gosh, commandeer the entire podcast. At this I rate, last. I, I mean, just keep us, keep it light and upbeat. Keep can, it reasonable. No, it's a Debbie Downer for sure. <laughs> is it? Is I'm, it an exciting tweet or is it a, go, go is for it a happy Debbie. tweet? I yeah, think that one it. of you is going to guess it, so that might be exciting. Oh, okay. Then we can go. We can go. I think and... you actually will guess it, Michael. Okay. Seth Moulton. I'm going to go with August Fluger. <laughs> um, okay. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Social media companies have failed to protect kids from harmful content on their platforms. Mm. 
our bill will put parents in control and protect their children online. Julia, okay, and, I'm, and just so we know, I, just so we're clear, I'm not going through the list of names. I'm doing this all um, on memory. Uh, Michael, so, you really uh, need to get this one. There's too many names. Too, I can't. I, <laughs> Can I give you a huge hint? Um, yes. Has his name already been mentioned in this episode? No, you literally recorded a TikTok about it this week. Oh, um, okay. This is right, right, right. The century. Right, and it was it was very don't, memorable. Don't um, smoke weed, people. <laughs> I, your brain on drugs. I literally, I cannot. Gun to my head, I have no idea what Gun the TikToks were head. that I did today. I this literally can't think of so this. So depressing. Yeah. I think it's this is more depressing than the AI thing. Well, he's I think older maybe than I us. need an AI. Yeah, he's older than. Um, yeah. Oh my god. No, I did uh I did a thing uh this week on it lit your TikTok was about what I'm about to talk about. Like oh. the fact that you can't oh, remember is so crazy. <laughs> Guys, it's been a really busy and really stressful last few weeks. Oh, my like, God. Just a lot of moving parts going on. Here. All right. I'm just going to tell you. It's Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton. Of course. Oh, Peter Cottontail. I totally <laughs> What's forgot. What's old Peter Cottontail? What's he doing these days? So Tom Cotton is a Republican senator from Arkansas. And we don't think of Tom Cotton as someone who works with Dems a lot. No. Right? No. Ever. Ever except now, because he well, see Murph. He has, oh no, this is a different bill then. Oh wow, he's okay. introduced a bill called Protecting Kids on Social Media Act with Brian Schatz, who is a Democrat from Hawaii. Yeah, and and, and this is also with Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, excuse me. Um, basically, this act would bar children under 13 from using social media and then children at 13 to 17 would need parental consent to create an account and social media companies would be prohibited from recommending certain content to users under 18. Now, this is why I wanted to bring it up after the AI situation. Mm -hmm. I think that there's no way the government is catching up to social media regulation. I just think it's an impossibility. The idea that you think the okay. idea that you can think you can you can verify a kid's age and prevent them from downloading something on a device unless you start talking about certain identifiers that some might consider a privacy invasion like a facial scan or something like that there's just no way and right. so i think that the way that the government was not able to get ahead of social media we're kind of seeing the fallout of that now whether it be the threat of tiktok and china whether it be the mental health element of it, what have you, I think that that is exactly how we're going to be feeling about AI. Like the government just couldn't get ahead of it and it begins well, causing all of these real life problems for everyday Americans. You know, and I think like every time we say stuff like that, I then come back to, again, not to like plug our own show, but it's like, that is exactly why representation is so important in Congress, mm -hmm. because like if you look at a Congress that, you know, no offense, errs on the older side, they don't understand these technologies. They don't understand TikTok, Instagram. Yes, their staff helps them craft a witty thing to say, but like they don't really they're not used to using this day in and day out. And so the idea of like, how do you regulate this? 
you know, most of them don't have a fucking clue. This, and and this, this could goes, be a, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, and this goes to any number of issues, right? It's like, oh yeah, let's have a bunch of old white men regulating what women should do with their bodies. You know, like the list goes on. Like this could be an interesting platform for a young candidate to run on though. Well, yeah. but I, I mean, just to, it's like, I even feel like I'm too old to really understand AI in <laughs> you, some way. You like, are, you are. Yeah. Well, aren't you guys? Yeah. Michael didn't even know when ChatGPT came out. I'm younger. No, than I knew. So. I knew. It was like Anthony, you are one month younger than me. Well, I'm younger. By the way, whose yeah. birthday is Fact. coming up? Fact. What are you guys getting me? Nothing. Oh, uh, I put in AI and it said coal. No, but like we're young, and even for us, AI the sort of daily use of AI as a consumer, not as like a scientist, feels complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting to me. Like, yes, I agree with you, Michael. That's exactly why representation matters. But it's like even young people in their 30s are not AI natives. Right. You know? Right. No, and I I think the the interesting thing about this is like, with big government, I feel like one of the inevitabilities is that they're always playing legislative catch up, right? Yeah. So the ship has sailed on so many things that then Congress, once the ship is like out in the middle of the ocean, they're like, oh, wait, 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 we actually should monitor this ship, you know? And this is, again, yet another example of like, is there enough public sentiment? to drum up meaningful legislation on this to right. then enact it, right? And it's like we saw the stock ban bill, right? It, there's no bill that prohibits members of Congress from trading stocks about companies right. they know about. You right. know, it's like w at what point will that sort of public sentiment reach the demand to actually take action? Right. And then we have a new segment, guys. It's called Ooh. Legislative Catch-Up. But legislative Heinz ketchup? ketchup bottle oh since we are <laughs> what is and our logo maybe is like a wrapped up bill with like a ketchup bottle doused yeah. on it In, yeah not a bad idea yeah you guys sorry to interrupt ketchup. i think there's a rodent like living under my house oh boy because recently my dogs just keep to running yourself. to like <laughs> this one area by the door and they're they're right now they're doing they're just staring at the floor. well anna's about to have a party at her house for her birthday so everyone Great. find that rodent yeah right. well, bring your I raid guess, i guess that's a good segue into mine what which rodents also could be a little scary oh. um since we're going in this depressing mood yeah today's not a super sunny one earlier this month president mm -hmm. biden oh wow he's still around <laughs> proposed a rule that would ensure that two-thirds of a new passenger cars and a quarter of new heavy trucks sold in the U.S. are electric by 2032. Mm. But if America wants to be a global leader in electric vehicles, we can't let other nations like... China. China. There we go. Control production of vital materials and components. Okay. Okay. Eric Swalwell. Mm, good one. I'm going to oh, go with... Or Guy Rushenthaler. I'm going to go with Kirsten Cinema. It was... She's not even it, on our platform anymore. Really? It was, what? It was, it was Eric Swalwell. Oh, son Michael, of a... You, 
your context like okay remember those those tests we had to take when we were in like middle school the close reading where it was like contextual clues oh you, you know that i'm so bad at so those. bad at them yeah literally i pulled mine from a tiktok that you recorded mm -hmm. anthony pulled his from an article that the three of us emailed each other about prove it <laughs> prove it's, it i, I have the emails <laughs> also i kind of feel like with China, it can go both ways, Republican and Democrat. Yeah. Right? right. So I always like to try and pick one to, you know, screw both of you up. But this is two of our um, people on our screwed platform. screwed one of us up. Are on our platform, <laughs> Republican and Democrat, Guy Reschenthaler and Eric yeah. Swalwell. Use your words. <laughs> they introduced the Rare Earth Magnet Manufacturing Production Tax Credit Act of 2023. Wow. Oh, say that a few times. Yeah. Rare Earth Magnet Manufacturing Production Tax Credit. I, like I wish they could have like made a fun earth. acronym yeah. like Rumactic. Reamer. Reamer. Ooh, <laughs> but, I don't know about that. Yeah. Anyways, the reason they're doing this is now because 60% of all mined rare earth metals, minerals are sourced from China. Mm. Um, the other three major sources, anyone want to take a guess? Oh, North Korea. No. Really? Oh, North Korea is very um, rich. Is it somewhere in South America? No. Uh, um, I'm going to say... Kazakhstan? Okay, you guys are really bad. India? Um, uh, no. Um, Jordan? Honestly, I'm pretty surprised by this, but Wall Street Norway. Journal here. Uh, Myanmar. Oh. Okay. Australia. Mm. And then this Crikey. mine in the U.S. called Mountain Pass. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. And um, does it go through a mountain? It, I believe so. It passes yes. through. Yeah. Um, but it sits on the border of Cal Mountain Pass sits on the border of California and Nevada. But here's another crazy stat for you guys. The rare earth supply chain is typically made up of three main parts. Mining okay. and concentrating the raw materials. Okay. Number two, refining them to produce oxides. Mm. And three, producing the magnet. And in recent years, China has controlled 91% of refining activity. Wow. Wow. 87% of oxide separation and 94% of magnet wow. production. Wow. Never going to catch them. I mean, talk about owning the supply chain. Gotta, yeah. I mean, that's smart. Man. That's smart. I that's mean, wild. I don't think we're ever going to catch them, right? Like, Well, here is my issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which one? Mr. President Biden. And mm -hmm. actually, a lot of governors or local politicians making these outrageous, um, I would say, hmm, what's the word? You know, like claims or that we're all going to be, you know, net zero by this time. Yeah. It is extremely, extremely difficult. And it's just, I think, setting... I mean, it's just, failure here. it's also just to make a soundbite though. Like Obama said it and then Trump became president and then it rolled it all back. So it's like, it is meaningless when they say it. Yeah. But a lot of local or state politicians are doing this as well. So, I mean, are we all being lied to here? Like, where's the path forward to have all of this even happen on our grid and whatnot with renewable energy needs Billions upon billions of in infrastructure. When is that going to happen? Well, I guess to go back to the tweet and to 
Swalwell and Reschenthaler's bill, what are is, is what they're proposing basically like funding to build more infrastructure in the United States to do these three parts of the process? Yes. So <clears throat> that is also the main part of this. So you receive a uh, a tax credit for producing rare earth magnets in the U.S. And currently there's really no domestic manufacturer of magnets. And what I also think is interesting though is like actually mining some of these rare earth metals is going to bring major environmental issues coming mm-hmm. forth. So it's like, what side is going to give? Right. When, um, who drives a Tesla here, perhaps? Hmm. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. I think Anna. Uh, uh, no? Um, what? <laughs> you guys are a bunch of gas guzzlers. Yeah. So um, I actually don't own a car. I'm a classic Gen Zer. Oh, wow. Age of 16. Says the man in a polo shirt. So you just Uber <laughs> black car everywhere? Oh my god! This is off polo, by the way. So <laughs> off polo. That's great. What does that mean? Well, I feel like you know yeah. this is one of those things that doesn't get the mainstream headlines because it's not the sexy thing that is like divisive, right? And you know we saw the landmark semiconductor uh, chip bill that the administration has has sort of put into effect here and i feel like you know the more that you can tout those types of wins and the more you can highlight what are the like economic implications how is this going to affect the average person in whatever town or whatever city however far or close to to the the source source being like Hey, we're opening a new mine here, you know, Mm -hmm. like the more you can draw that like clear parallel from an economic front, I think the more these issues are going to gain traction. And I think obviously the using China in the political weaponization sense is, is very potent right now. I think both sides do it. The right tends to do it a little bit more, I think. But the fact of the matter is those statistics you cited on China are crazy and that's so high and And i just want to say michael before you move on something you said i think is really important about like how this will affect everyday people and what i think is interesting that we should just bring up is about these two politicians Mm. swalwell being a very forward-facing democratic known person i think that for him a lot of it comes from talking about the environment, talking about the ability to have things made in the United States, talking about clean energy. For Reschenthaler, he represents Western Pennsylvania, which is mining country. And so I think there's something really interesting here where you have a bill that is addressing both the environment, but also is a positive for somewhere where one of these mines might be which is potentially in western pennsylvania where he represents so that's what i that's why i think it's important to like know who these people are because when if a bill like this gets passed and it becomes law and there is funding that is given to the infrastructure people in guys very republican district will benefit They'll be the first ones to benefit. 
And then the repercussions of that are clean energy, which then makes Democrats happy. So it's a really interesting like issue where you can find a positive for both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. Is it it my turn? Mm -hmm. Okay. Bring us home. Bring us home. Uh, so we're going to do a couple of fun things here. Um, but let me just lead off by saying that there is not a chance in hell that you were going to guess this one. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I thought you were going to get mine and you didn't. So (laughs) nothing can be worse than that. So the the quick setup that I want to do for this tweet, and then I want to we'll we'll get into it a little bit. So we're talking about debt ceiling stuff, and you know a lot of people I'm sure listening have have heard stuff about the debt ceiling, and and raising it, keeping it. What what does it all mean? You know I think it it bears repeating that raising the debt ceiling and this issue that we're facing here is not about increasing spending. It is about covering the debts and the bills that we have already accrued. Effectively, it is our Uncle Sam credit card. And so there are two issues here that are being completely conflated. One is making sure we can pay our bills, and the other is reducing spending. Okay. So this week, the House, excuse me, last week, the House passed a proposal. On on a very narrow margin, I think it was like 217 to 215. It was like the, the the slimmest margin it could possibly have. And basically, this was a proposal which would increase the debt ceiling for a year, but then it would freeze all spending at last year's levels for a decade. So what that effectively means is it would be a 14% cut in the budget and it includes several rollbacks but the most important one that has gained has basically become the nuclear political football as it were is veterans benefits so we're going to get into what that is but here's what one member of congress said about this my fellow veterans are not political props republicans can't wrap themselves in the flag one day and then vote to cut veterans care the next this bill is a disgrace. Chris Deluzio. Um, guys, this is where I tender my resignation and say <laughs> that, holy shit, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You read this. T- obviously, you saw this tweet. I saw this. Obviously, tweet. you Not researched. like that I knew you were going to pick it, but I did see the tweet when I was uh-huh, scanning. Uh-huh. Anthony, do you, you want to you just... <laughs> Say Crystal Luzio and be right. I mean, I was I was just going through my photographic memory um, uh-huh. through our list, and I was going to say August Bluter, but <laughs> yeah, you said uh, you said Republican, so it had to be no. It was against no, Republicans. It was against Republicans. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that's what I mean. It was against Republicans. So not okay. August Bluter. So yeah. here's 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 the the background on this. So Chris went to the Naval Academy and then served as a Navy officer in Iraq for six years, and then got out and went to Georgetown Law, returned to his hometown in Pittsburgh area, and ran for Congress and won. And so he's a young guy. He's new on our platform this year. And what he is referring to is a lot of veterans and, and veteran 
allies on Capitol Hill have come out and said that this bill that the GOP passed would dramatically slash benefits to the tune of $2 billion in funding right off the bat. And it would basically reduce the VA budget by about 22%. And this was all confirmed by VA Secretary Dennis McDonough, who testified before a a Senate committee on all of this. Mm -hmm. So the response, that was what he said in a Senate, in a, a congressional committee, okay? And then tons of GOP leaders have have now sort of run to the the tweets and said, this is a bogus and these are lies. And Elise Stefanik said, quote, they're shamelessly lying about veterans benefits and politicizing the VA to do so. So I feel like I don't want to take sides here, but I'm going to go with the person who testified under oath in front of a congressional committee's word over what people are saying on Meet the Press and Twitter. So it clearly seems like this was one of those things that was, oops, yeah, we cut benefits, but shit, we hope nobody would notice. And now they, they have, they're caught with their pants down. So my question to you guys is like, who do we believe? And what do you think happens now? I just don't know. Like, like, I feel like Republicans would have to be so stupid to cut veterans benefits as part of this package. Like, yeah, it feels like that's the opposite. It literally feels too dumb to, to be true. Which is why I think it's actually true, because it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, we just got to cut spending. Oh, we'll take a little here, take a little here. And then it's like, oh, shit. Like, we cut veterans benefits. I mean, I wonder yeah. if it's one of those things, though, where it's like they didn't. It's like not a cut directly to veterans benefits, but it's like the things that they're cutting affect the way that veterans get their benefit. You know, like there's mm-hmm. kind of nuance that can be in there that's like, OK, we're not cutting the staff of the VA, but we're cutting like the well, whatever, you know, whatever well, they would this... be. So that is actually the thing is that they would oh, be so reducing. They... they would be reducing the Veterans Association. Excuse me, the veterans, the VA budget would be yeah. reduced by 22 percent, which would Jeez. effectively okay, so... reduce staffing okay. and the ability to handle backlogs of. OK, cases, so. They, so cetera, OK, well, so that. OK, sorry, I missed that if you said that. So in that case, I think that what Republicans are saying is we're not technically cutting veterans benefits. Right. We're cutting how easy it's going to be for you to attain or get information about those benefits, which Democrats are saying is cutting veterans. Like having right. someone that you can call and get the information is at in sort of the grand scheme of things equally as important as the benefit you're receiving. Well, and then Republicans are saying, technically, that's not true. You're still going to get your benefit. We're just not going to have as many people there to help you. So right. yes and no, right? Mm-hmm. So, and and again, I, I'm not necessarily taking sides here, but I think when it comes to veterans, we should really understand the facts and like, yeah, yeah. effectively what this, and, and we should also mention that like this bill that passed the House, right? 
is dead on arrival. The Senate yeah. is not Biden's not going to sign it. And the Senate has said. No. But it but I think it's important to talk about because it's something that Democrats well, totally, run totally, on. because it's a baseline now. Right. So what they're saying is like they're trying to conflate the issue of paying for our credit card bill and increasing the debt in future spending. Right. So mm -hmm. what they want to roll back are all these provisions that have been passed over the last handful of years, most of them in the Biden administration, such as the Infrastructure Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and, and others, which increased funding to the VA, among other places. So what they want to do is they want to go back to spending levels prior to all those bills that then would show a 14% reduction in spending over a decade. So effectively, all of these other congressionally approved bills have increased funding to these different areas, including the VA. Mm -hmm. And by rolling that back, they are effectively taking away congressionally approved funding. So they are more directly than I think they would ever acknowledge are very much taking back taking away resources from the VA. Mm -hmm. The conversation is like resources versus benefits. Like right. what is what? Right. Um, you know, and I think like to, to, to answer my own question of, okay, how are they going to like politically solve this? I think the clear thing, everyone is saying, oh my God, no, 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 no. We would never do that. Oh my, what veterans? We love veterans, you know? And so I think what they're going to do now is now hang a lantern on it to use a writing uh, term mm, and lovely. every everything I don't know. They, yeah, that's going. like a screenwriting term. It's Anthony's like Anthony's very bored, I can tell. Yeah. No, I'm not bored. Um you know, hanging a lantern on it is like if there's a problem or a, a thing that's like a little bit of an error, you like double down and you're like, see, we intended it. It's not an error, you know. Um, and so like they're going to now everything moving forward there. I think the, the, the it's going to be all about how much they love veterans. Exactly. And it's going to be like we're doing everything to preserve veterans benefits, you know. And so get ready, I think, folks, to hear a lot about all the things they're doing for veterans now. Yeah. I'd actually love to see the numbers on how much that budget has maybe increased over the years and then what parties were the ones who increased it drastically. Yeah, veterans is like a tricky say, issue, you know. I mean, let, I mean, two, we're living in a time today when everyone is cutting a budget related right. to their staff, right? you know? So I wonder if that played into this at all either. Um, but let's face it, most companies have fat. Right. They got to cut them. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people aren't doing much. Yeah. Uh, that would be a veterans benefits. Uh, those veterans always have their hands out. And then AI is taking yeah. over. Yeah. Bring so, it back. Bring it back. Bring it yeah. back. Yeah. That, to use another screenwriting term, is called a plant and a payoff. Yeah. Ooh, there we go. I'm pretty good at this. I guess I could do your job. <laughs> hey, listen, AI guy. Not better than an AI. Yeah. Definitely not. Honestly, it's way smarter than. Well, obviously, you know, our I feel like our episode today, we talked a lot about just the the complex nuances 
of big government, you know, and I think that sometimes we forget, like, when people complain about government, right, and they complain about government waste and government overreach and government this, that, and the other, I think it's really important to kind of take a step back. And and yes, all of that is is sometimes true in, in many cases. But the reality is, is that we have a country of a lot of people with a lot of diversity as far as pressing issues, pressing issues that concern this district, but don't concern that district. And the reality is, is like govern the job of governing is really, really hard. And one thing I don't think we give our politicians enough credit for is like the balancing act that they do on a daily basis. And that isn't to say that like they're they're, you know, the the heroes that we should worship. But I do think that there is a degree of difficulty in legislating that most folks don't acknowledge. And I think today's episode for me reminds me of like, oh, there is bipartisan consensus to be had. And there are really fascinating, nuanced, diverse issues that are hard. But working together is the way that those begin to at least move forward in terms of getting solved. Well said. Tough job. Yeah.